This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Another multi-billion dollar aid package request from Biden and hint, hint, the biggest benefactor is once again Zelensky. And the Uniparty, well, they are all for it. The show starts now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So late last week before departing for an undeserved vacation to the beaches of Delaware, and while Americans are still in the hands of Hamas, who our president Brandon delivered, and I use that word delivered very loosely, a rambling, stammering mess of an Oval Office address where he stressed the importance of supporting Israel, but also took the opportunity to pivot to his favorite topic, the endless funding of Ukraine. On Ukraine, I'm asking Congress to make sure we can continue to send Ukraine the weapons they need to defend themselves and their country without interruption so Ukraine can stop Putin's brutality in Ukraine. And if Putin attacks a NATO ally, we will defend every inch of NATO which the treaty requires and calls for. We'll have something that we do not seek. Make it clear, we do not seek. We do not seek to have American troops fighting in Russia or fighting against Russia. Super clear. Well, I'm sure the American hostages still being held by Hamas terrorists are comforted to know their president spent a bulk of his address talking about Ukraine. And I'm sure Israeli allies are also stoked to know that while Biden is requesting $14 billion to assist their effort to demolish, demolish Hamas, he's also seeking an additional $60 billion for Ukraine and is tying Israel's aid money to Ukraine's money, holding it hostage. This is part of a larger request for a total of $105 billion for this emergency funding. Important to note, we don't have... 105 billion to give, so I guess we'll just keep running up the debt with Monopoly money and hope no one can count. But the Uniparty is fine with this. The Uniparty loves dealing in Monopoly money. That aside, I'm still unsure how we're going to combat terrorism or tyranny anywhere against anyone when right here in the USA, we've got hordes of college students supporting Hamas and jihad sympathizers ripping down photos of missing in or kidnapped Israelis. It's really a sick sight to behold. Oh, and then you add that to our wide open southern border. 18 people on the terror watch list in September alone, and those are the ones they caught. We've put our country behind the eight ball and Republicans. Well, they aren't much better than the Democrats, if we're being honest. The sabotage of Jim Jordan last week is proof, and I'm sure Byron Donalds is next. The Uniparty strikes again, and guess what? They'll probably get away with it. Joining me now with her analysis of all of this is Fox News contributor Sarah Carter. Sarah, I want to jump right in to Israel because that's obviously the most pressing matter that we're, we're facing right now. And I want to get your take on the United States 
kind of asking Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to hold off on a ground invasion so we can get more humanitarian aid so they can have more time. Do you think that that is a, a correct thing for the United States to be requesting at this point? Well, absolutely not, Tommy. And thank you for having me on because I think this is a vitally important um, subject. I mean, when we're talking about requesting that the Israelis, and I was last night, I was at an event uh, where the Israeli ambassador to the UN, United Nations spoke, and uh, he gave this gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching speech where he said, you know, it is nobody's place, but Israel's place to determine how they are going to handle this. They lost so many of their citizens in this brutal, horrific attack. Uh, Hamas terrorists tearing apart children, tearing apart the elderly, raping their young, kidnapping hostages to have the Biden administration then try to demand what the next step of Israel will be in Prime Minister Netanyahu and then tie those demands uh, and aid, any aid that would be going to Israel, our greatest ally in the Middle East, to Ukrainian aid. It is fundamentally wrong. Um, we would not allow another nation to do that to us, um, especially if we were attacked. Remember, let's go back to September 11th. Um, it would be our decision how to handle that. And I thought you also brought up such an important point because you're seeing all the pieces together, Tommy, and very few people see that. But you talk about the border. It's it's absolutely essential that we understand that Israel is not a separate issue from the United States. It We have the same issue as Israel. And one is our southern border, which we have fundamentally neglected, and I call it the Unicorn Party. Yes, the Uni Unicorn Party. They're living somewhere in La La Land. Um, I don't know where they're living, but they're going to put all, and they have put all of our lives in danger. Um, we, I was there two months ago in Israel. In fact, I was in some of the kibbutz with IDF, with Israeli Defense Forces, that um, those kibbutz that were attacked by Hamas. And my heart breaks because I think about all the amazing people I met on my trip. Um, I went to every single border from the northern part near Lebanon all the way to Gaza to the Egyptian Sinai border. And if Israel is considered the premier border security of the world and this happened to Israel, what's going to happen to the United States of America where we have left this border wide open? where the Biden administration has failed to protect us. The only president that I remember, and I've covered the border since, my gosh, since 2006, 2004, um, the only president I remember actually doing anything was actually President Trump. Because even when I dealt with the, uh, the Bush administration under President Bush, there were so many failures because they kept wanting to pass immigration reform without securing the border. Now it's just no holds barred. It just leave it wide open. Mm -hmm and let everybody kind of pour through. So in, in summary, I mean, just for, for this point that you made, I think we're in serious danger. I think we're in serious trouble by an administration that set us up for failure and gave our adversaries the upper hand. And now we see what is happening to our allies. And I got to tell you, Tommy, I'm really scared of what's going to transpire in the next upcoming six months right. to a year, because we could be facing a world war. Right. And, you know, going back to that southern border as well, you know, the Democrats, they will use their talking point that this 
aid package includes money for our southern border, but if you actually look at what they want the money for, yes, they want to hire Border Patrol agents, Border Patrol agents who don't want the job, but they also want to provide more money for the illegal immigrants and their care. So when you actually go through this, the Democrats will tell you, hey, we're putting money in there to secure the border, but they're not putting money in to secure the border. They're putting money to aid and abet the illegal immigrants to come over faster, be processed faster, and be bust or flown into a city or state near us. So that to me is infuriating. But I think it's also important here, going back to Israel and Ukraine. I mean, we've been propping up Ukraine for a year and a half now. I mean, at some point, there's got to be a discussion uh, of what, how much we're going to do. Is the juice worth the squeeze here? And then furthermore, I think what's so frustrating, and I know that people will criticize this, but let's be honest, Hamas terrorists, radical Islamic terrorists in all of these Middle Eastern nations that are you know, flying the flag of jihad, the Russians are not saying that they're going to have a global movement of jihad and they're not encouraging Russians to you know, commit jihad on Jews or Americans. The Russians, obviously, we are not supporters of dictatorships, we're not supporters of Putin, but when we look at the most pressing threat here, and we're seeing it in our cities and our streets right here in the USA, to me, what's going on in the Middle East is far more concerning for most Americans then, then Ukraine. And maybe that's just my perception, but boy, I got to tell you, that's how I'm feeling looking at the way our cities and streets look right now. I think you're right. I think a lot of Americans are feeling the same way too. I mean, if we walk down the streets of Ken in Kensington in Philadelphia, um, our streets are overrun with fentanyl. Uh, you know, people are calling Americans zombies. Uh, you go to Chicago, you go to, and I've been to all these places over the last year, Oakland, California, San Francisco, Los Angeles, no matter where we go, we're seeing the effects of a wide open border and a breaking point in our country right now. And I really believe we're at a breaking point, but let me put this into perspective. Um, in, in, and I agree with you, um, almost on everything and in fact on everything. But I think what happened here is that we have a president that has failed from the very beginning. Um, he has made it clear to our adversaries, that includes Russia, that we are a weak nation, that we are going to break if they push us hard enough, that we're a paper tiger. We really have become a paper tiger. And when we left Afghanistan the way we did, when we turned over Kabul to the Afghan Taliban and to the terrorists, even the Taliban leadership was stunned. I was getting called from sources in Pakistan and in Afghanistan saying, what is going on here? How did this happen? We, Our State Department even turned over the list of our agents there, basically people that worked for us, worked in our military. So they handed the enemy everything, including tens of millions of dollars, 83 million is what I've been hearing, or more of equipment that has been left behind. Um, and now that equipment is being sold on the black market around the world, is, you know, and there's continuous intelligence investigations into that. Now, just put this into perspective, China under Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, Iran, North Korea, all of the major players against the United States have seen this administration's weakness and they're like sharks, Tommy, circling the water and trying to affect a geopolitical change in the world that I think is going to be historic. What they're seeing is our weakness and they're utilizing proxies like the drug cartels in Mexico. They're being utilized like Hamas, like Hezbollah to target not only our allies, 
but the United States itself. And we're not waking up. And we have a we have lawmakers that have failed to do the job for the American people that we've asked them to do. We have an executive branch that is a joke in front of the whole world. And we're now in a point in history and a point in time where we're not going to be able to defend ourselves on multiple fronts, meaning while Israel is going to be fighting off and hopefully they go into Gaza and just eliminate every Hamas leader and Hamas military terrorist that targeted their people. But while Israel goes into Gaza, guaranteed Iran is going to look at the northern front and move people, um, Hezbollah and Hezbollah fighters, into Israel from the northern front, stretching Israel thin. We already have our, you know, our Navy fleet out in the water out there by Israel right now. We see China moving its own fleets out there. We see the world repositioning itself. The USS Ford is out there. Um, we see the world repositioning itself, and Russia will too, because Russia realizes it has an opportunity now to gain some traction. Because the United States, one, we don't have the money to fund the Ukraine war that we've right. been funding. And two, we don't have the military capacity to do it. And they're having a huge time right now, a very difficult time trying to recruit people in the United States to the U.S. military after this woke administration has made such a mockery of it. So we're in a really bad state of affairs. Um, I've been talking to a lot of senior officials about this, um, not just here in the United States, but overseas. And I can tell you this, the reason we're positioning our military in that region of the world, in the Middle East, is because I think there is a very terrifying awakening right now um, in the United States government. And they do not know what our adversaries are going to do next. But I could tell you this, they're going to do something. And if we're not ready to confront that, it could be a very dangerous time for our country. Well, another uh, part of the problem here and why it frustrates me that the United States would have the gall to tell Israel to delay their advancements is because we know that the Israeli military is largely made up of civilians and reservists and their economy, if this goes on too long, their economy is gonna collapse because these people are not gonna be in their day-to-day -day jobs. They're gonna be fighting a war because they rely heavily on that in Israel. So this is, to them, they have to strike while the iron's hot, they have to do it quickly. And the fact that we're sitting here saying, no, no, wait, We've already, they already gave them how long for civilians to get out of Gaza? Now it's just extend it, now send $100 million, we'll make sure it gets into the right hands. I mean, to me, that's got to be so frustrating. I don't know why we're dealing with terrorists with kid gloves and why we're expecting Israel to tiptoe around when they were given not the same coddling and comfort when their people were brutally attacked and massacred. But now they're being asked to, to spare civilian lives? Well, they're going into a war. They've declared a war. And I feel like people are not understanding of the reality of war. And they think that no civilian casualty is acceptable. But that's not the reality of life. And I don't know how to change the hearts and minds of people to understand what this means for Israel. No, you're absolutely right. And they were not given any opportunity to defend themselves. This was a terrorist attack. It was a brutal attack. It was barbaric. There was no words to explain when you read the stories of what happened to the people on that Saturday, that that horrific day where, you know, over a thousand Hamas terrorists came into the country and literally tortured little children. I mean, we don't want to repeat 
and, and maybe we should, those stories. How do you take an eye out of a child in front of their parents? How do you chop off their limbs? How do you rape young girls and brutalize the elderly? And by the way, the money that we would be sending to Gaza, guaranteed, guaranteed, Hamas is in control of Gaza. Hamas is in control of Gaza. In 2006, when the people of Gaza voted Hamas in, when they voted Hamas in, they voted in a terrorist organization that is run by the Shia Iran regime, period. And if people cannot have the moral clarity to say what happened there was wrong, and then to have the gall to ask Israel to take a step back, that would be like asking a parent or a mother or father whose child has just been attacked by the neighbor you know, to not go over to the house and just step back, just leave it alone and don't do anything until we can figure out how to handle the neighbor. No, I'm sorry, that's my neighbor and I need to handle it because Israel is a small sliver of land in a land and in a, in a in a in an area of the world surrounded by enemies. So that's all they got. If they don't protect their land, what's going to happen next? And I think we need to start thinking like Israel, what's going to happen to us if we don't protect ourselves, if we don't protect our nation from what we are seeing, which is a collapse and a weaponization of our government internally, um, an executive branch that makes no sense and embarrasses the world and lawmakers who are up on Capitol Hill, you know, duking it out behind the scenes and can't even agree to a speaker, even though, you know, Jim Jordan was right there close enough to make it right. And I, I know the chairman and he's a great man and, you know, it wasn't good enough. Okay. So now you guys are fighting. And we've got November coming up, um, you know, and a possible sh uh, looming government shutdown. I don't know what it's going to take, Tommy. I'm kind of like, I'm with you. What is it going to take for people to have moral clarity? What is it going to take for people to see the situation as is and to make the right decisions? Um, and I got to tell you, there's a there's a terrifying feeling. And I know you're talking to people across the country as well. You spend a lot of time, you know, traveling and talking to just regular folks, regular Americans doing their daily thing. And I got to tell you, they're very scared. They're very worried. They're worried about the upcoming 2024 presidential election. And they're worried about what direction our nation is taking now. I mean, we're going to be on, we're, we're definitely on multiple fronts here um, on the edge of a world war. And that's pretty frightening. And not only that, you know, as I mentioned at the top, this this uniparty, um, a lot of Americans are really concerned about that, too, because they felt like they elected Republicans and now they're not sure the Republicans right. that they elected. They're not sure if they're doing the bidding of what they thought the Republican Party was sent there to do. So it's an overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of being forgotten by everybody. And we have an opportunity to change that in about a year's time. But it feels like there's a lot of things, you know, pushing against the patriots of this country and the average folks out there who also want to be able to just pay their mortgage and want to be able to send their kids to school without being indoctrinated. All these little things are piling up, but I don't think Republicans have made the case that they in in either in the White House or having majorities in both chambers of Congress would do any better. And that to me is the scariest part. Sarah, thank you. As always, uh, I always enjoy being on Hannity with you, seeing you out in the streets. And please be safe. I know that you're always on the ground working and interviewing, and I hope to see you soon. Me too, Tommy. Thanks a lot for having me on. Of course.
Ten Americans are still unaccounted for and more than likely being held hostage by Hamas. Your president has been working tirelessly on the beaches of Rehoboth to bring them home, I'm sure. Even rapper 50 Cent has taken notice. But instead of waiting for Joe and co. to do something, my next guest and his team at Save Our Allies have taken matters into their own hands. Immediately after the attacks on October 7th, his team of volunteers sprang into action to evacuate Americans and assist Israelis in need. Tim Kennedy, a Green Beret Master Sergeant, a Special Forces sniper with multiple combat deployments, and co-founder of Save Our Allies, joins me now. So, Tim, I just described everything that Save Our Allies has done, not only in Israel, but the work that you guys have been committed to for much longer than that. But I know that you recently were in Israel. Can you please give us a breakdown, a first-hand look at what you experience and what the American people need to know, all the propaganda away, all of the smoke and mirrors? What have you seen and what do we need to know? Uh, I mean, it was a thousand times worse than what we saw in the news um, you know, if uh, I, I wanted to share the the videos that we were co-located with um, in in one of the cities that's the most rocketed city in all of Israel, in the country that is the most rocketed country in the whole entire world, and um, you know, it was also one of the cities that had to fight back after Hamas invaded them. And um, one of the police units that we were with, they had lost one third of all of the men in their detachment when they responded to try to push back. Hamas back into Gaza. Um, in that fight between guys that went missing, guys that are now hostages, um, men that were killed, men that were wounded, they lost 30, almost 35% of their staff. Um, and then the things that they saw on the ground, the things that that were so evident, you know, statistically, it sounds the coming from the Israeli government that about 80 percent of every every one of the victims of the 1400 people that were killed um, were raped or murdered or were raped or tortured. Uh, and on like the, the, the videos and the, the pictures that we saw from there are indescribable. It's unconscionable what happened there. Like this is the largest loss of Jewish life since the Holocaust. And uh, but for some reason, the vast majority of people via their anti-Semitism are rooting for the other team that was killing babies and burning babies alive and raping every single person they could possibly find. I, I, I cannot reconcile what, what I saw personally to what I'm seeing on social media and all the protests that are happening in America. And beyond just the protests, I mean, as somebody yourself who's been dedicated to saving those in need for rescuing Americans and Israelis, to watch some of these people in our American cities ripping down posters of those who are lost, missing, or held hostage, maybe even murdered at this point, I mean, I can't imagine the rage that that gives you. It enrages me, and I'm not in Israel, haven't been in Israel, but what do you make of, you alluded to that, the protests we're seeing in the United States, around the world, these pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine, even the ones who are not the evil pro-Hamas sector of that, but even just the free Palestine aspect, what are these people who might just be well-meaning morons, what are these people missing about the true enemy in that part of the world? Yeah, I actually think that you're, you're, you're doing them a service by calling them morons, because they're not. They, they know exactly what they're doing. They They um, I'm not saying they're being complicit to the, the terrorist attacks, but if you are walking up to tear down the poster of a child that is being raped and tortured as a hostage inside of Gaza because you don't want to see it and you don't want other people to see it, you are being complicit to the terrorists that conducted this 
act of horrific evil. And they don't want to see it, and they don't want other people to see it because it goes in stark contrast to the thing that they know to be true. They are they are making an argument out of fallacy. They're making an argument that this evil group is standing for something good when they're not good. They are pure evil, and the actions that they have done are pure evil and are continuing to do. So they're walking around trying to take down these posters because they don't want people to see what the truth really looks like. That is that they kidnapped Holocaust survivors, women and children, and have been raping them for the past and torturing them for the past two weeks. Until they get out of there, this is going to continue to be their life until they are freed, if they are ever freed. And those people don't want it to be black and white in their face. They want to hide the evil and they want to live in the lies. You know a lot about evil because this isn't the first time um, that you've confronted evil, not the first time that you've confronted terrorists and terrorist networks and how they operate. And with that background, I just really want you to educate my audience on who this enemy really is, what they're fighting in the name of, and the lengths that they will go to reach their objective, which, as they've told us time and time again, is, is jihad. It's pleasing who they believe is their their God, their savior, and they won't stop. But I think a lot of Americans are, are unfamiliar with that enemy and what that enemy will do. Please give them a little bit of an education on what you've seen in your career. That's, that's a that's a really terrible question. Um, it's, it's one that I'm not sure people have the appetite to understand truthfully. Um, Terrorism is to achieve a political or logistic means by force or fear. So that means you are doing something so terrible that the force is so compelling that you can achieve your, an objective. That's why you know they're going to fly planes into buildings. That's why they're going to use suicide vests on kids that um, are struggling with mental health. Um, they they use the poor, they use the innocent, innocent. They target civilians. Um, they are committing war crimes in every single one of their actions, but they're not being held accountable by the war crimes. So me, as a US military member, if I were to use a civilian to barricade a position, I have just committed a war crime. If I take a hostage and I put that hostage near the front lines, I have just committed a war crime. These are all clear war crimes that they are committing. Insurgency specifically, uh, the the U.S. Special Operations has been fighting insurgencies for the better part of 20 years, right? So since 2001, for now 22 years, whether it's in North Africa, it's in the Middle East, if it's ISIS, it's Al-Qaeda, if it's Taliban, um, if it's Hamas, if if it's Hezbollah, these are some non-state actors that are being supported by actual countries with state money. So Iran is financing the vast majority of these organizations. So we are effectively at war with with Iran that is also being supported by Russia. This is a very complex situation. So an insurgency is using guerrilla warfare tactics. We haven't really won a war, America, since the World War II, right? That was a conventional, very clear battle lines. Nobody wants to fight us in that force-on-force, state-on-state actor where you have to go against the American military. So what they do instead is they use terrorism. They use proxy and they use non-state actors to achieve their political agendas. So, of course, Iran doesn't want us to exist. Of course, we in the stratosphere and in the the economic, economic and geopolitical world are at war with Russia, just not outright war. So what they're doing is they're supporting the Hamas's and the Hezbollah's and the Al-Qaeda's and the ISIS-Ks and the Taliban's in an effort to effectively destroy everything that we love and everything that we stand for. The atrocities that we see terrorist organizations use, it is their best practices to enrage everybody. And anytime that we respond to them, it keeps the propaganda wheels going. Mm -hmm. Because 
as we just saw, they intentionally call Hamas anything you want. They're not stupid. They knew that Israel would have to retaliate, and they wanted to make it as terrible and horrific as possible so that the retaliation of Israel into Gaza would fuel their propaganda streams. Terrorists are not fighting for the Palestinians. These terrorists are rich people living abroad. If you think any of the leaders, the real leaders, the financial backers of Hamas are in Gaza right now, you are naive and you're pathetic. And you are being lied to and you're believing the propaganda. They are living abroad in Abu Dhabi. You know, they're they're in Kuwait and they're Qatar and they're they're up in Lebanon in some rich palace, and they are just raking in the dough and they're loving every single minute of casualties dying in Gaza. That's what terrorists do, and that's what insurgents do. We had to do it that way in Iraq. We've had to do it in Afghanistan, and we've had to see it all over North Africa. How close do you think we are to U.S. involvement and true U.S. involvement, not just you know, special operators that are always doing our bidding, always operating, but a real U.S. involvement, a World War III-type scenario? Are we edging closer to that? And if so... Do you think that that is a good move for us strategically to get ourselves involved? I mean, I'm, I'm a libertarian. I'm a constitutionalist. I, I don't want to be fighting 20 years at war. I've been in the military for 19 years, going on 20 years. Uh, obviously, of the 20 years that I've been in the military, we've been in war for 19 of those. Um, and you know, supposedly we're not at war again, even though we're in Ukraine and we're also in Israel currently. Um, are we going to see conventional forces on the ground? Uh, I, I don't. I, I know families that have family members in Gaza right now as hostages. It is uh, it is not what you want to hear. But those people are not going to be rescued unless there is a gigantic joint effort to include the Brazilian military, um, the Australian, the the British. Um, I'm, I'm talking massive allied coalition of a gigantic joint task force invading through land, sea, and air all simultaneously, because if Israel tries to do it, they will just start executing those hostages and they don't have the manpower to clear all of Gaza fast enough to rescue those people. Um, so if we want to see those hostages, we need to see like the Rangers on the ground. We need, of course, we need to see all of special operations there. We need to see the 82nd Airborne, the 101st. I'm talking like the real elite, gigantic combat operate, combat combatant operators on the ground to do what they've, they've been made to do. We are the most lethal fighting force on the planet. Man, let, let's, let's let them go and rescue some Americans. Question for you, though. You know, as we sit today, we're still the greatest military force on the face of the earth. But I have some concerns, Tim. I have some concerns about the young people that are coming up. Uh, not only that they don't want to serve their country because they hate their country for whatever reason, but also because I believe that a lot of them would be incapable of serving their country, incapable of defending our nation and defending freedom around the world, eradicating evil where it exists, because I'm seeing a shift in culture, not only with the college students that are openly supporting terrorists, that even aside, I have a lot of concerns with the United States military and their objectives and their agenda with their, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, their drag queen recruitment efforts. I know you must look at it and you feel is some type of way as somebody who served your country for so long. But do you think the United States five, 10 years from now is going to be ready to confront the evil in the world? Or are we not doing ourselves any favors with this progressive path that we're down the road on? 
Uh, we're definitely not doing ourselves any favors on this progressive path that we're going on. DEI should not exist within the military. But um, you, you said for whatever reason, uh, these people are hating this country. It's not for whatever reason. It's for a very specific reason. They have been programmed and indoctrinated via the public school system, the department public education and this teachers union to be radicalized in anti-American rhetoric. Um, you cannot raise a generation to hate a country and then think that they want to then go and serve this country. Um, after World War II, after Pearl Harbor, one of the generals was quoted in saying that he had made the worst mistake, that they had made the worst mistake possible, which was they woke the sleeping giant, which is the American spirit. Um, that spirit is embedded in our DNA um, since 1775, from the first shot that was fired to us finally getting freedom. And through a variety of terrible wars, we prove time and time again that we always will rise to the occasion. Um, whether it's storming beaches, it's climbing cliffs, it's raising flags on Iwo Jima, um, or going into some of the most the least permissible environments on the planet and rooting out terrorists that have fought every single dynasty in their hills and beating them on their own soil. That is what we're capable of when we have to be called to that action. So there's a part of me that hears you 100% and is worried about this next generation. But then there's a part of me that's hopeful and that knows the history of Americans being Americans and, um, you know, I, I live in Texas. I, I was just in Oklahoma a few weeks ago uh, before I went over to Israel. And um, I, I am blessed to live in an area that still is proud to serve this country at every opportunity, that there's American flags that are being flown. And, um, you know, when something happens, I, I hear young men that are in my jujitsu gym, young men that are in my private school, Apogee, young men that are in our young men's mentorship program, Ap Apogee Strong. They're just like they're chomping at the bit for the opportunity one to prove like what young men want to do is that they are men. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. That's just innate in them in their DNA to be providers and to be protectors. Um, but then there's a strong, there's a strong threat of patriotism. Um, you know, the cities are a little bit different. Those worry me, but, uh, I do have hope because I know what it means to be an American. I see our young men rise to the occasion. Oh, I, I certainly hope that you're right. I want to be optimistic. It's hard sometimes when you look at the landscape and, you know, the they, them, green hairs. I'm not sure if they'll grow out of that. Last thing I want to ask you, because I know that with Save Our Allies, not only have you been in Israel, but you've also been in Ukraine and, and you've been working to save innocent people, to return people home. But I do have to ask you, as someone who's seen the situation in Ukraine with Russia, you know, we're getting ready to send even more money to Ukraine. We're continuing our, our endless supply and funding of Ukraine. From your perspective, also as somebody who's been an operator for 20 years, do you think that Ukraine can win that war? And if so, how much are we going to have to send over to make that happen? Or is this going to be another endless war financed by the U.S. and our taxpayer dollars? Man, I just don't want to be in any more wars, you know, um, in three years of this administration, whether it's the Afghan withdrawal, uh, Ukraine, now Israel, obviously our southern border as a Texan, it is uh, it, it's pure war right mm -hmm. now here in Texas. Uh, we have another 
front line, which is our southern border, as we are being invaded. If you just saw what happened in Israel and you think that you're safe here in the United States, you are delusional and you are clueless. Well, there are more terrorist operatives that are now living in the United States than conducted this act in Israel by Hamas. There are, there are more operatives here in the United States now. So if you have not been training, if you have not been preparing, if you've not been equipping, like buckle up because it's going to get wild. I think Europe's already lost. If you've been paying attention to the, some of the protests and you see some of the radicals that are attending these, um, is Ukraine winnable? I don't know. Um, what I do know is I draw a line in the sand about who is good and who is evil. And um, I think communists are evil. I think socialists are evil. I think terrorists are evil. And do I want to go over and fight them? No. But do I want to fight them here? Also, no. So how do I how, how do I balance? How do I choose? How do I reconcile between these two not not great answers? Do I fight them over there or do I fight them here? Um, I would always want to fight them on not in America. Um, this is not a place that anybody ever wants to fight. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, as a family man, a father of four children, beautiful wife, I'm never interested in having to fight on my own soil. Um, but I've spent the majority of my adult life overseas. Um, I don't want to send any more of our young men over there. I'm sick as a small business owner having to pay taxes. I mean, like this inflation is killing us. These interest rates are killing us. And now you're talking about raising more taxes to pay for another war that you don't have an end or a mission in sight, man. I'm like over it. But I also don't want communism to win ever. So, I mean, I don't know how to answer that. Like, right. I don't know. I don't know. It would be nice if we could just start fighting communism in our American schools first. Maybe that's the first line of defense, and uh, that's next to free. If we think about it, uh, I think that yeah. that might be the most worthwhile cause. But I want to thank you and everything that you've done with Save Our Allies and on all the work that you guys have put in, doing the work that nobody wants to do, fighting the good fight, saving people, saving lives, restoring hope. God bless you, and we appreciate you bringing us the truth, the story, for those who either don't want to hear it or haven't heard it yet. I really appreciate you, Tim. I appreciate you, and I appreciate all the volunteers, all, all the men and women that have been working late nights. You know, Israel seven, eight hours ahead of us. And, um, you know, these people are waking up at midnight, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, working all night. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for your heart for service. And, uh, and Tommy, thank you for just spreading the gospel. You just keep on keeping on. Uh, we will. Thank you so much. And we hope to talk to you soon. Yep. All right. It's hard to feel optimistic about America's future when you hear things like this. Oregon has decided that a mastery of reading, writing, and math are no longer a prerequisite for high school graduation. Something tells me pronoun proficiency, however, is. It's time for Final Thoughts. The state of Oregon has decided that learning in school is overrated and, of course, racist. And that's why, in a unanimous vote, the Board of Education decided that basic mastery of racist things like reading, writing, and math will no longer be a high school graduation requirement. This vote extended an existing policy put in place in 2020 until at least 2029. The reason? The expectation of basic skills is putting undue stress and harm on students of color and other historically marginalized groups, or so says the Oregon State Board of Education, because these leaders decided that being able to read, write, and do math is not indicative of post-high school success, which is quite the assessment. An assessment that not only undoes decades of conventional academic wisdom, but also makes no damn sense whatsoever. 
Here is a more in-depth explanation. Are you ready? Students of color, those who don't speak English well, and those with disabilities had to put in extra time and effort to earn a diploma, and that prevented them from taking an elective like basket weaving or some crap. And apparently there's no evidence that extra academic work is helpful to these students in college or in the workplace. Ain't that something? These board members are really trying to convince us that putting in extra time and effort into reading, writing, and math isn't a helpful endeavor for struggling students. The underlying sentiment being, why bother? But get this, Oregon does mandate that all students learn and are taught about consent, gender expression, and STDs starting in kindergarten. The educational and academic priorities in these whacked out liberal states are nothing short of appalling. And I, for the life of me, cannot imagine sitting there as a supposed academic professional and with a straight face arguing that basic mastery of reading, writing, and math fundamentals are not necessarily useful for students, but gender expression is. Even worse, arguing that students of color shouldn't be expected to excel or even meet a standard requirement. I've said it before, but here it is again. If you are a parent who gives a damn, get your kid out of public school and get your family out of a blue state. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.